From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. We've been away for the long August recess, but we are back, as is Congress, facing a grueling September for the annual scare over government shutdown and some heated appropriations battles to come this month. We want to talk about all of that. And joining me to do that are Peter Cohn, the deputy news editor at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Pete. Great to be here. Thanks, David. And Paul Krozak, a senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again, Paul. And thank you, David. So once again, uh, we face a partial government shutdown at the end of this month if they don't pass a stopgap funding measure. And to complicate that battle, President Biden has requested $44 billion of emergency spending. That's for Ukraine aid and disaster relief and border security. Really going to complicate the mix here. And we're seeing a real clash now between the Senate and the House on that. And predictions seem to be growing that we could be facing some kind of shutdown, although I know we hear that every year. So unclear where that's headed. But how do you guys see this shaping up? Uh, can they pass this stopgap? And, and how, do they, how do they resolve this battle over emergency spending? Because we've now seen the House Republicans just aren't prepared yet to go along with the Ukraine aid piece of this. And we know there's a push from McCarthy, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who's under pressure from his party's right wing to separate the Ukraine aid. They want to handle that separately. They want to negotiate for greater measures at the U.S. southern border, possibly to make that a sweeter package for them. The Senate is strongly backing Ukraine aid. Remarkably, both parties have expressed strong support for the Ukraine aid. But the House Republicans are divided, and it seems like it's going to make this a really heavy lift to keep this package together. Paul, why don't you take this one? (laughs) (laughs) I was afraid you were going to say that. It's a real quandary. I mean, um, it's, I mean, maybe so. I mean, I think, you know, the House Republicans are still, you know, I think trying to figure out what kind of continuing resolution they're going to put together that can even pass in the House with Republicans. And maybe House Republicans are able to put together something they can pass without Democratic support, and they get it. But even that's going to be a big challenge. And they get it to the Senate, and the Senate modifies it and sends it back. And whatever that is may not be able to pass with only Republican support. I mean, McCarthy may need... Democrats to help out uh, with that. That, that to me, is the most likely scenario right now. But it does make it an ugly fight and a striking turnaround here because for over a year, you know, there had been pretty strong bipartisan support in both chambers for for, for helping Ukraine uh, repel Russia's invasion. And that has now withered away in the House uh, and you are seeing this uprising from some of the ultra-right Freedom Caucus members. Not clear how many, really, still. Uh, they, they may be divided, but enough to cause McCarthy real headaches, obviously, so that he's not willing to put Ukraine aid in this package. You know, they're, they're, 
voicing these objections that they don't know where the money's going for some reason. They haven't seen enough details. They, they worry about the fraud and corruption. And partly, I think, the politics of just wanting to play to the base at home and, and pump money back home and not overseas that's making this a real headache now for McCarthy, but hard to see how, how that would survive in the Senate. I mean, clearly, there's going to have to be more money for Ukraine. The, the pressure is too strong, I think, really from both parties to make sure that happens. There's a couple of things going on here. For, so first of all, I wouldn't discount the uh, ability of the Senate to to get in the way of this kumbaya moment that you're talking about here, okay? So first of all, since the beginning of supplemental spending bills, Congress has never just lock, stock, and barrel taken what the president submits and passed it. It just doesn't happen. Sure. Maybe it was one time during Katrina where it was just money for the disaster relief fund at FEMA. So they just needed tens of billions of dollars right away. So they kind of rubber stamped that without a lot of, str- of strings attached. But in a package like this, it's going to get changed. It's already being changed. The staff on the Senate side, at minimum, are scrubbing this, and they're going to have substantial changes to it. You have substantial policy differences with the Biden administration on the border, for instance, including among Senate Republicans. This is not just the Freedom Caucus I'm talking about. This is Senate Republicans who do not like the way the border money is structured, because a lot of it is your Senator Katie Britt, the top Republican on Homeland Security Appropriations. It's not border security necessarily. You've got money in there for substance abuse treatment. You've got money in there for, for essentially sheltering and, and feeding migrants crossing the border, all worthy objectives. But you have Republicans who say, no, first we've got to make it less enticing for people to try to cross the border. Okay, So the border is a real issue, not just on the House side, but also on the Senate side. All right, number two, Going back to the House, where most of the drama probably will end up being, uh, assuming the Senate can get its act together, is Kevin McCarthy. It all comes down to whether or not Kevin McCarthy is willing to put a bill on the floor that uh, that will pass with Democratic votes. Because at the end of the day, no matter what concessions he makes to the Freedom Caucus and, and so forth, there's always going to be enough Republicans who are going to vote no on any spending bill. So he's always, he always, from the beginning, needed to get to, to eventually reach across the aisle and get some Democratic votes. So is he willing to do that in this environment where there are still threats to his job as Speaker? Yeah, I think that's the key question right there. We saw in 2013 yeah. when John Boehner was Speaker, ultimately at the end of the day, he put it to his caucus and said, this is when Obamacare was starting up. He said, are we really going to do this? Is this really what you want? And they said, yes, they said, we're willing to shut the government down to try to get what we want. Now they had no exit strategy. There was no way what they wanted was ever going to become law, but they did it anyway. And there was a shutdown for a little over two weeks. The only way they got out of it was because they had to raise the debt ceiling. All right. So then fast forward a couple of years later, the situation, the longest shutdown in history, we had 35 days. The only way they got it, that was over the border wall. Only way they got out of that was essentially the Trump administration figured out that they could just move some money around and redirect existing resources to the border by calling it a national emergency. All right. So now we're in a situation where Biden is not going to do any of those things, admit, you know, on his own that the Republicans want. So it's, can, are there a, a handful of smaller policy wins that McCarthy can extract just like he did on the debt limit deal, deal earlier this year? 
are there a few things he can extract that would get enough support from members on both sides of the aisle in the House? And is he willing to do that and possibly suffer the indignity of a motion to vacate the Speaker's chair? <laughs> so that's what this is all about. And frankly, no one really knows how, how it's going to end up. Um, you know, we don't know how serious the Republicans are who are threatening McCarthy's speakership at this point. Um, so, you know, the next couple of weeks are going to be interesting. With very little time, yeah, less than three weeks now to get all this done and get a stopgap funding measure passed. What do you guys think? Can they get it done in time? Yeah, I think they can. I, I think there's a presumption in favor of not having a shutdown. I, I think a shutdown right now is more unlikely than likely. I mean, I think that, I, I mean, I, I, I have heard from both sides. I mean, I think there are some lawmakers who, who are willing to shut it down, but I think most don't want to. So, I mean, I think that- um, So cooler heads will prevail? Yeah, I, I think so. I used, to, I used to get asked all the time to put odds on, on everything. And, you know, I give it, say it's about 65% chance, let's call it, that there's no shutdown. But, you know, that's a very unscientific uh, percentage. And, um, you know, look, we don't know how many, there's a couple of Republicans that we know vocally have said that they don't care, they don't think there are any negative consequences of a shutdown. They don't mind a shutdown. They think it'd be a good thing for the country to have a shutdown if it means that they're not uh, making any concessions to the, to the other side. But it seems like, and again, this is very unscientific. I haven't gone out and polled all of the conservatives in the House, but it seems like there, there is a very, very, very small minority that thinks it's a good idea to go into a shutdown with absolutely no exit strategy and, and no, no assurances that you're ever going to get even a single thing that you want uh, by going into the shutdown. I think the Republicans have learned that lesson. And frankly, like John Thune, I think, said yesterday, the number two Republican in the Senate, Republicans always get the blame for a shutdown. Now, you know, going back to 2013, the 2013 shutdown, they ended up gaining seats in the, in the 2014 midterms. So, uh, you know, that's probably in the back of some Republicans' minds, too, who think, why not? Let's shut everything down. We may actually come out ahead in the elections next year. But I think the, major the vast majority of Republicans think it's not a good idea to have zero exit strategy, uh, and also when the, the fact that you're going to get the blame for it no matter what happens. And I think particularly the need for disaster relief is going to prompt some action, I would think. I mean, we, we're seeing the wildfire from Maui, flooding in Vermont, hurricane through the southeast now. I mean, huge heat waves everywhere and a dwindling disaster relief fund that desperately needs more money that won't come unless they pass this stopgap measure. And then Biden wants even more than that, about $16 billion extra, I think, in his emergency package. If they aren't able to, to pass that, I mean, Congress just could really get heat, I think, for, for not responding to natural disasters in time. So I would think that provides a powerful incentive to get something passed, uh, however they have to tweak this thing. Yeah. Again, I have, I, we haven't gone out and done a, done a poll of everybody involved in this, but I mean, here's one possibility. So we, we, what, we, what we've heard is that McCarthy is considering a shorter term CR, one that goes into you know, maybe just um, four to six weeks, something like that. So it's possible that 
Now, again, the Senate's really not on board with that. They want to do a longer term one into, into this December, which is kind of what McCarthy indicated earlier that he was um, going to do, but he's been getting some pushback from his caucus. So let's not discount the possibility that you could get a shorter term CR at first that maybe provides a little bit of the money that FEMA wants. Maybe not the whole thing, but a little bit, enough to get them through the next month or so and, and not have to look for you know pennies under the couch cushions when they're trying to fight multiple nat- natural disasters at the same time. So maybe there's a short-term CR that adds half of the money for FEMA that, that they want. And they reserve uh, judgment on the Ukraine piece of this, which is clearly the thing that has gotten everybody riled up. It's the Ukraine piece that is the, the main, and the, and the border money too. They're going to have to figure out what to do there. That's a smaller piece, but there's a, a major policy divide on the border. So maybe they don't have enough time in the next 11 days to figure all this out. And they do a short-term CR with a little bit more of the money that FEMA wants. In fact, once they do a CR and it becomes law on October 1st, under what they call an anomaly that they pass every single year, they do a CR, that frees up the entire year's worth of money for FEMA's disaster relief fund right th- on that day. Yeah. So it's not, they're just not, they're not just parceling the money out prorated for the duration of the CR. That anomaly allows them to tap into the entire appropriation on the spot. So it's possible that just by passing a short-term CR, FEMA gets an immediate cash infusion of $20 billion, and that could be enough to get them at least what they need into November. You know, that, that could, that's, I'm just, I'm not saying this is what anyone's actually, you know, considering at this point, but just teasing out some possibilities here. That may be something that we, uh, that eventually gets discussed. Yeah. If they can get that stopgap passed, uh, that, that would provide them the, the relief they need for now. Um, so this huge clash with, with less than three weeks to, to resolve it, um, and this huge battle between the House and Senate on this. We're going to see who blinks first and how and how much this package gets tweaked. But in the meantime, lawmakers are plowing ahead with their regular appropriations bills, and we're going to see the Senate this coming week do something they really haven't done in years, which is try to pass regular bills, the regular annual bills, not individually, but they're preparing a three-bill package uh, at least to get the ball rolling, and we're going to see a real contrast here between the bipartisan approach on appropriations that we're witnessing in the Senate and the very partisan approach in the House uh, that's quickly leading to gridlock over there. And, and, and it's not clear whether, whether these bills can pass on the House floor or not. There'll be a real test of that this coming week. We think the House is going to take up its defense spending bill, at least, which probably has more support than anything else among House Republicans. Uh, but even that looks to be, it could be a tough fight because you've got Freedom Caucus members opposed to all these spending, at least, you know, all these spending bills without, they say, having an overall deal and overall spending limits. You've got these huge battles. Uh, you've got all kinds of amendments we're going to see on the floor on these culture war provisions on Ukraine aid again. So that's going to be a real circus. And, and, with only four votes to spare, Democrats will be lockstep in opposition in the, in the House to this bill. Even passing the defense bill is going to be a, a really heavy lift. I think it would only take a few of them to defect. And I'm not even sure Pete 
will it, will they have the votes to pass the rule on the bill? Does McCarthy have all the Freedom Caucus supporting needs on that to even let the rule go through? Or are we going to see this whole thing stop short in its tracks pretty quickly? Well, first, let's go back to the point that it, you know, we, we may be giving too much credit to the Senate here. All right. You got to remember that, yes, these bills all passed unanimously in the Senate Appropriations Committee, but this member, the Senate Appropriations Committee is traditionally uh, very supportive of spending bills. <laughs> okay. Um, there are a lot of Republicans who are not on the, the Senate Appropriations Committee who are going to have some concerns with these bills that, that are coming to the floor right now. It's going to be a, a probably a messy amendment process to get through. It could take the better part of two weeks to get through this package. And these are all bills that, remember, were reported unanimously out of the Senate Appropriations Committee. You've got emergency spending in there that are, a lot of Republicans don't like. There's a lot of cultural issues. Now, they pick these for a reason because they think they'll probably have the easiest time on the floor out of any of the other bills that they, that they reported out. But let's not, you know, we know there's this reputation for more bipartisanship in the Senate, um, but let's not count our chickens before they hatch necessarily. Sure, on the House floor, they're going to have a problem. They don't have any Democratic support. You're probably going to get more veto threats from the White House over these spending bills. Uh, McCarthy and the Republican leadership have to uh, set up some type of lengthy amendment process to allow everybody to to have their voices heard during this process and are they going to um you know hold up consideration until i don't think any anyone really is uh opposed to the level of spending in the defense bill for instance and given it's the anniversary of 9-11 next week you're going to have a lot of pressure to get to at least pass that but sure i mean is there going to be a hold up based on the fact that well, we want to see how much all of the other bills are going to be cut by before we agree to let the defense bill go through. All so right. you may see some of that too. Right. So, you know, that's where we are. And um, that that process is going to be ongoing probably through October and, and November as they try to... McCarthy, if there's one thing he's serious about and I think is really kind of driving this, is he wants he does want to see that return to that regular order conference process. The House passes a bill, Senate passes a bill, you go to conference and hammer it out the old-fashioned way. I think he's dead serious about that. He, and so that's what that's what they're doing. And I think Chuck Schumer is too. So that process is going to play out over the next few months. And um, you know, McCarthy's McCarthy has said repeatedly, let's just do a little stopgap bill and allow that process to play out because we're not going to wrap it up by September 30th. Yeah, I mean, yes, they want to pass it through regular order, as they call it. It's just that it seems like there's less and less time to make that happen. I mean, the clock is running, and, uh, you know, I mean, We've after- got to, they've gotten until the end of They've actually gotten until next April, guys, <laughs> if you remember. Well, this, they can't remember, wait until then. I mean, yes, they can. Wh- Why not? Why not? The law says the, the across the board cuts do not happen until April 30th of next year. So they've got until then to do. To they do have all, until all then to avoid the across-the-board sequester Correct. cut, right? But boy, if they have to wait till next April to pass to pass bills for the, this fiscal year, they'll be mostly gone by then. I mean, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, the year will be half. Will be more than half over. Yeah. But you know, I'm 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 not saying it's going to come to that, but I am saying that you know, look, I mean, 
a lot of people are talking about 2018 as the example. Patty Murray and Susan Collins, leaders of the Senate Appropriations Committee, trumpeted the fact that you know they did the most bills through committee the fastest uh, in in five years. Yeah. Okay. 2018 was a good example. They did a couple of these so-called mini-bus packages, and they did it through regular order. The House passed their versions. The Senate passed their versions. They went to conference, and they did got five bills actually done on time before the end of the fiscal year. Now, that's not going to happen this time, but you know that's the example kind of people are pointing to as, look, we can do this. We can do it the old-fashioned way. Um, you know, Of course, then things deteriorated into the longest shutdown in, in history. Later, later in the process in, right. in 2018. So, you know, maybe that's not the best example in the world, but that is the idea here. And but of um, course, the politics are so much more poisonous now, it seems, even than, than in 2018. Than, I, I, you know, I kind of think in 2018, so. the I mean, politics are more, are more poisonous now than they were in 2018. I kind of think it's gotten even worse, but I guess it's, I, it's hard to pinpoint. I, I just think. Everything now is harder. It's cons- it just consistently gets harder. So I don't know. I-, I guess I'm I'm more pessimistic, but we'll see. I mean, it- it's just th- they can't agree on anything easy at all. I mean, it- so I don't know, Paul. What do you think? Is it- <laughs> you see rays of hope here? Well, I mean, so you know, as we've said, I mean, the Senate uh, Senate Appropriations Committee has made you know progress you know uh, that we haven't seen in years. And, you know, although there will certainly be, you know, it's not going to be easy to pass those bills on the Senate floor. Um, there are, I mean, there are Republicans like, I, I mean, I, th- I think, I think Senator John Thune said recently that he, you know, he thinks that uh, he thinks those bills are going to get passed. So, um, you know, the House is a different story, um, of course. Um, but um, uh, I, you know, I mean, I think that, you um, it, the two chambers are certainly, you know, divided by more than a hundred billion dollars in terms of uh, what they want to spend on these appropriations bills. But um, uh, you know, but but both chambers really have have made progress, including the House. So I mean, I think that um, uh, I, I I think there I, I I think there is regular order going on here. Yeah, the, the one flaw in the regular order. Uh, strategy in all of this, of course, is that you, you kind of, you can't really do it piecemeal. You can't really go into conference with two or three bills at a time and expect they're just going to get resolved in kind of just in that small little, little world, because you do have this massive gap on the overall uh, spending framework between the two chambers. So you kind of do need to have a global agreement on what, what do the subcommittees actually have to provide in fiscal 24 before you start breaking them off into little subconferences. We're doing, you know, the Milcon, ag and transportation HUD bills. You know, in other words, they can't just go off into a room, the house members and the senators on those subcommittees and decide, here's what we're going to, here's the, to- the level of spending we're going to provide in these bills. Here's what we're going to do on the policies and, and go from there. And then they get that done and then they move on to the next fight. You can't necessarily do it that way. You do kind of have to have an understanding of what the spending levels are for all of the bills, which they actually had in 2018. So that's kind of one of the problem, one of the other differences, one of the other flaws in that analogy is that they haven't figured out what the what the um, 
agreement is. Now, you know, you might argue, well, they, they had a deal back in, in the debt ceiling package. Right. That was the deal. That was the deal. Right. And for one but, brief shining moment back in, in May, early June, we thought there was a global agreement on the spending levels. And we thought yeah. for a chance here, they actually could get appropriations rolling because, because the, the overall limits were sort of set. And, and the House and Senate came back with wildly different interpretations of what that spending agreement meant. Yeah, yeah the house, house went below those levels and the Senate went above. Right. So, so you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, maybe they actually end up somewhere closer to what the original deal was, which would make sense. But you got to go through all this theater uh, to get there. And, um, you know, as, as you, all, you both have pointed out and many other commentators have pointed out, it may take another, you know, shutdown to get there. Well... On that happy note, I think we're about out of time, but we will be following this closely to see how this shapes up, particularly now it's a real crunch time as they try to get a, cut a deal first on this emergency spending and see whether we can get a stopgap measure passed. It will be a Herculean task. The politics are getting dicier and dicier on it, so we will be keeping tabs on how that unfolds. Let me just briefly jump in and and remind every, all of our uh, loyal listeners that uh, we are going to have a broader webinar on the legislative agenda for the fall, our fall 2023 legislative preview webinar with our editor-in-chief, Jason Dick, and several of our subject matter experts will be on September 13th at 2 p.m., so mark your calendars. It's not quite as good of, as our, as the, as David's budget podcast, of course, but it's a it's a close second. <laughs> It'll so be far more comprehensive than the budget podcast. Yeah, you. I was gonna I was gonna plug that. You can you can get the details on that and sign up information if you go to info.cq.com and click on resources. That's info.cq.com. Click on resources. You'll find the details there. Sign up on September thirteenth at two p.m. A whole panel of CQ Roll Call reporters and editors will be on hand for a live webinar uh, that lays out the fall legislative agenda. And if you like what you hear here, you can subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter, which hits your inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. And you can read all of our budget coverage, of course, on CQ.com or RollCall.com. Thanks again to Peter Cohn for being here. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, David. And thanks to Paul Krozak for joining me. Thanks again, Paul. Yeah, thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time. <laughs>